Hello, my name is Carl Lloyd Hauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because He loves you so much. All right, so before we get started, I want to direct your attention to this little flyer on your seat. It's about Easter, and I just want to let you know that this shows uh, what's happening here around Easter. We're going to have a sunrise service. We're going to have a Saturday night service. Um, If you don't know where to go, come to Saturday night so we make room on Sunday for those who normally don't go to church. And then um, we also have our Journey to the Cross on Good Friday, which is a self-guided tour over the last hours of Jesus' life. It's a pretty powerful experience. I want to encourage you to come to that. And uh, also, this is an opportunity here uh, that you can take this little flyer and pass it along to someone else. I want to encourage you that uh, I will give them the gospel. I'll tell them about Jesus, and I will uh, give people an opportunity to give their lives to Christ. So every person you hand that to is a chance for them to come to know Jesus. Now, if you've been here for the last number of weeks, you know that I made kind of a a little change on where we were going with the sermon series. We were going to talk in this Awake series about culture and being different than the world, and we talked a little bit about that, but I could see that God was uh, actually asking us to make a a little different move here uh, because something is going on right now. Something is happening. And so we talked a little bit about Asbury and how, you know, they started a worship service at that college. And uh, they, after chapel, they started praising God, and they just kept praising God. Day and night for 16 days, they kept going on and praising God. And then we see God moving uh, in little pockets here and there, and we see things, just fires starting to take place. And you know, I believe we're seeing it right here in this church already that God is moving. In, in the last couple of months since January, I don't know how or why, but we've, we've just grown by like 300 people. Just 300 more people are coming to church. Yeah, praise God in the last couple of months. And I want you to understand that it's not just here. We've seen it in Delta. Last week, they had to get more chairs in our Delta campus. Uh, They just had too many people there. And uh, someone told me the other day that in Montrose, it's not just grace, which just makes me so excited that it's happening in other churches, that, that they're growing and people are moving. We see it in our youth ministry. And there's just a stirring that's taking place right now. And, and you know what? If the change, if the work of God is that every church, that every church would see 30% more people, I mean, that would be a powerful move of God. And I would say yes to it, even if it's quiet, even if it doesn't make the news. To see that, I mean, I would call that a beginning of revival. And so I wanted to talk about revival. And this week, we're going to actually talk about the soil for revival. Next week, we're going to talk about the fruit of revival. But what does it take? Where do we need to be to see a mighty move of God? And I'll tell you, I am praying, especially for our youth, for our young people right now. I'm praying that, that it'll take fire in college campuses and high schools. Because, because I think about, boy, our kids need it so bad. You, you know, you and I, we look at the world. Uh, I'm assuming that you're old like me. And you look at the world and you, you look out and you see like, wow, this is crazy. This is weird. What is going on right now? But you have to understand for our youth, that's normal. That's what they grew up in. And so they need God to come in and invade their world and in their life. So I'm praying for revival, especially with our youth, but also right here in our midst. And I believe that it's coming. I believe that it's actually here right now. There's just this sense of anticipation that we have right here in this church, this sense of hunger and this sense of God moving. And so I hope, you know, it's kind of scary to say, well, is this it? 
is this revival? And oh boy, I hope and I pray that this is the beginning of something big. And I believe it is. I believe that God is moving in a powerful way. So I want to talk about the soil. How can we be ready for what God wants to do? And so Tim Keller, he's a Presbyterian pastor, a really smart guy. Actually, I listened to a number of his sermons. He's a great preacher. He says this, revival is like a garden. We can prepare and ready the soil, but God brings forth the, suit, the fruit. And how about this? Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, who was an evangelist a uh, number of years ago, he says, revival cannot be organized, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. I think that's really good. I want you to catch that, okay? Revival cannot be organized, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. And I'll tell you what, listen, if the wind of God blows, I want to catch it. If God's going to do something in the soil, I want to be ready for it. And so this is what I'm asking and urging us as a church right now, that we get ready for the work and the move that God wants to, to do. And I believe it begins with prayer, and I'm excited because we have become a church of prayer, that there are people praying regularly every week. We spent the first 21 days of the year praying and fasting, prayer vigils, and just moving and seeing. And I believe that God is starting to respond to those prayers, and he's starting to get our hearts ready. Continue, please, to pray with me. And so I don't know what God is going to do next in our country. I don't know what he's going to do in our city. I don't, I don't even know what he's going to do in our gathering. But I believe he's going to move. And there's three things that I know that we can do right now. Three things that I'm asking you to join me in. And the first one is, is we can be ready for whatever he wants to do. We can set our sails so that when he moves, we go with him. And he gets to define where that is. He gets to define what it is. He gets to define if it's loud or quiet, if, it, if it's national or just in our own homes. But be ready. Get our hearts ready. Because listen, it doesn't have to pass us by. We're not going to have to just watch it happen out there. It gets to happen right here with us. That we are his children and he wants to blow and he wants to move. And he wants to bring some new fruit in this soil. Okay? So be ready. Here's the second thing that we can do. We can experience the work and transformation that he has for us right here, right now. So we don't have to wait, well, someday God will do this. And is there more in the someday? Yes. There's more for us, but he's working right now. As he defines it, Lord, what do you want to do in me? And here's the third thing, and that is engage and experience personal revival. So uh, Brian Workman, our pastor over at our Delta campus, he says this, he said, if you want to see revival, draw a circle around yourself in the dirt and start right there. Begin right here. Lord, let revival start. See, he may want to do something corporately, and I believe he will, but I think he wants to do something in your homes. He wants to bring revival to your home, and he wants to bring revival to your heart, and it begins right here. It begins with little pockets of all of us getting ready and prepared for what Jesus wants to do. And the most profound revival and renewal that we could experience is transformation of the heart. Listen, I want miracles. And I would love to have just 24-hour worship services that go on. And I, I would love to see this amazing move that's visible. But it isn't really worth anything if it doesn't bring transformation. Change. God, change me. If it doesn't bring the lost to be found. 
but it doesn't bring the church back to who we were supposed to be. And so I'm praying for revival in our church, but more than that, I want revival in our homes. And more than that, I want revival in our lives. And here's the question as he comes to you, will he find good soil? Is there good soil in your heart? If he wants to do a work, is there a place in your life that it can happen? Is your sail set? Are you ready to catch the wind? To move where God wants to move in your life? So I'm going to look in the scriptures, we're going to look together at what I think is the second most profound revival in the Bible. The first one is actually, I believe, is actually in Acts 2. And we're going to look at that next week as we talk about the fruit of revival. But as we talk about the soil of revival, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Nehemiah, and we're going to be in the ninth chapter there. And we're going to look at what I think is the second greatest revival that took place in scriptures, probably in history. And the reason that this is so amazing, now, uh, just I'm going to refresh your memory. Many of you already know the the situation here, but what's happened is there's been 1,100 years of Israel chasing after idols and turning away from God. And then they get in trouble, and he comes and rescues them, and they turn back, and then, then, then they turn away again. And they chase after these idols. And, and so finally God says, I've got to work this thing out of you in a big way. And so he allows Babylon to come down. In fact, sends Babylon to come down, take Israel into captivity. Israel is no more. And so the Israelites or the Jews are living in Babylon in captivity. And after 70 years to fulfill the promise that Jeremiah gave, that God gave through Jeremiah, 70 years are going to come back. And so they come back, and this is where we find them. After 70 years in captivity, we find them humbled, we find them low, we find a transformation here. And the reason I think this is the second greatest revival in Scripture is because there's a work, there's a humbling that goes so deep in them that they are changed for the next 400 years. After this moment, idolatry, the idols aren't a problem anymore. Now, there's other problems. Religion becomes a big problem. And rules and regulation, that becomes a big problem. But God actually does something so deep in Israel through this revival that it affects generations for 400 years. They are a different people. And here's where all revival begins. Whether it's personal, whether it's corporate, whether it's national, it all begins with humbling. This is where we need to begin. You want good soil, church? We have to humble ourselves. Okay, so let's look at it. Nehemiah 9.1. And it says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth sackcloth, and having dust on their heads. Now, this doesn't mean that God wants you to like roll around in the dirt, you know, and oh, I'm such a worm, I'm so horrible. What this is, this is an outward expression of what's going on inwardly in their hearts. And it's, they're rending their garments because their hearts are torn. Oh Lord, we've blown it. We need you. And we've needed actually this captivity and we need transformation and we can't do it like we did it before. We've got to change. Oh God, help us. And we humble ourselves. And you see them, there's this big prayer and they talk about what happened right after that. And if you go over to 925, you see the cycle, you see the problem that Israel finds themselves in. 925, talking about the Israelites, here's what they do. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. Things went good for Israel in the beginning. They took possession of houses, filled it with all kinds of good things. God blesses them. Wells already dug, carved out cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and they were filled. And I I got the NASB up here because I like what it says next. They were filled and put on fat. Hey, that's me. And they lived luxuriously in your great goodness. Now, do you see it? You see what happens here? 
They grew fat. It must be so frustrating to God because this is what happens, is he loves to bless you and he loves to bless us. And so he brings all these wonderful blessings. And do you know what they did? And do you know what we do? And do you know what we keep doing? Is we start falling in love with the blessing and we forget the blesser. And so then we chase after the blessing and we try to increase our blessing and we want more and more blessing, forgetting the one who gave us the blessing. And then God turns us over to our blessings and they become our idols. And then you know what happens? Problems come and we get greedy and we hurt one another and disaster follows because we remove God from the throne in our hearts and problems come and we cry out to God. And you know what we say? Why are you doing this to me? If I was God, I would come and just punch us in the face. I'd be like, come on. You're blaming me? A good thing I'm not God. That God doesn't want to punch you in the face, okay? I'm just saying. It's like we just do it over and over again. And we, play, we chase after the blessing. And then we, we cry out, well, well, bless her, where are you, right? And so then he comes and he meets us. Has anyone here else, you, kind of, you need that you sort of need struggle? You kind of need difficulty. You know, Francis Chan, you know what he says? He says, you should seek suffering. I'm not doing that. No way. No thank you. But he's got a point. I mean, it seems that actually we need difficulty because we forget. We get lost in the blessing and we forget the blesser. And the struggle comes and it's like, oh yeah, Jesus. Oh, I forgot what this was all about. The difficulty comes and it turns our hearts back. Reality is that there's actually blessing in every difficulty, right? There's actually, there's blessing in suffering because we look to God. And so what we have in Israel is this deep humbling that comes out of their suffering that lasts, I mean, it produces fruit for 400 years. One of the things as I've been watching Asbury and just kind of looking to see what was going on there, one of the things that just really blessed me that I thought was just so wonderful was this attitude of humility. You know, like the big guns, these big praise worship guys, they were coming like, okay, we're here, we're going to help you. And they're like, no thanks. We just want to praise Jesus. We just want to be in his presence, that's all. We don't need to do this fancy. You know, if you, if you watch the chapel that started it, it's not that great. I mean, it's not bad, it's just like fine. But then God moves in the midst of it. We need to humble ourselves if we want to see the move of God. So how do we do that? Well, let's go to the next verse, verse 2. And it said, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago. If you were here, remember we talked about being aliens and strangers. And we said that we don't come out because we're better than everyone else, but we actually do. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set, set apart. They were actually called to say, I'm not going to live and think and do things like the world. And see, there's a pride that comes to say, well, I can do this. I can make this. I'm going to find my way here. And there's a humbling to say, actually, no, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm not going to make my way. I'm going to seek his way. And so they come and they pull themselves out and they say, okay, Lord, we belong to you. We're set apart for you. And then it says, and they stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They confess their sins. So it's to be honest with what's going on and say, Lord, there is brokenness in me. And I was reading that in my devotions and I thought, do I have to confess my parents' sins? This is going to take a while, right? I have to go through all this? 
And what I think it is, is he's saying, okay, let's acknowledge the mindsets. Let's acknowledge the patterns that we hold and that brought us to where we are. And let's admit that we are prone to doing the same things that our ancestors have done. That these ancestors, that the Israelites have done. You know, you look at them and you're like, come on, are you kidding me? And I would just think that God would probably look at me and say, Carl, come on, are you kidding me? We're doing this again? We're going back to these things again? And so we look at our, the generations before us and, and we see, you know, you go back to the 50s and you see that we had relationship with God and we replaced it with legalism and rules, right, and authority. And then the 60s response to that. And, and then we take the love of God and we twist it into license for free love and selfish living. I mean, this is our ancestors, right? This is where we came from, what we walked through. And then the 80s, when I was uh, in high school and growing up, that, that's when we, we went after the blessings and we got really, really greedy. It was all about what I can have and what I can get. And then in the 90s, we started to confuse, losing our way and our moral compass was just kind of falling apart. And we're like, how do we go forward? In the 2000s, and we saw the shaking and the breaking of our foundations and these things that we had trusted and stood on, we start to realize, oh, actually, they're not that solid. And so what it is, is to come forward and to admit we're part of that and to humble ourselves and say we do the same things always looking everywhere else. And a humbling is just to come to terms with our need, like, oh, God, I need you. God, I need you. Oh, how I need you, Lord. And see, God can always work with humbling. A broken and a contrite heart, he will not despise. If we will just come before him, admitting our need, even if the topic is sin, it's amazing Lord, I am in sin and I need you. I have watched people. I have been a person in deep sin. And I've watched that there's two ways and I've watched people respond in both ways. So there they are. Here it is. And the one way is just a humbling. And then the other way is a hiding or a running. And it's amazing. I've seen it time and time again. I mean, right here with people in this church where they're, I mean, they're caught. It's a mess. See, some of us, we, I think I've said this before, that, that we say, oh, well, you're just sorry because you got caught. And that's not good enough for us. You know what? It's good enough for God. If you're just sorry just because you got caught, listen, that's good enough for him. It's amazing. He's so gracious. He'll take that kind of humbling. And so there they are. I mean, everything's blowing apart and I've watched them and they humble themselves and they admit it and they hold on to it and they're like, God, this is just true and I need your help. And then I just see amazing move of God where he puts lives back together and he puts marriages back together and he puts people back together. And you're like, there's just no way this can happen except for God responded to their humility. And then I see people hide and I see people run. And you know, it's not as intense at first when you hide, right? You don't have to face it right away. Oh, but the disaster, it just goes on and on and on. And the corruption and then the pulling apart and the destruction, it just keeps reverberating and it gets worse and worse. So much power in just humbling ourselves to reckon with what is in us, to come to terms with our real need. To say, oh God, I need your help. God, I need your help to be the dad my kids need. I just admit it. Lord, I need your help to be the husband my wife needs. 
God, I need your help to be the pastor this congregation needs. Oh, God, I need your help just to be the follower of Jesus that I want to be. And you know what the beauty, the wonderful part about would you help me, God? You know what's so wonderful about that? The answer always is yes. Would you help me, God? I will. I'm ready to. I want to. Such a beautiful thing that he always responds to our humility. And our humbling, it leads to repentance. Not where we're just sorry for what we've done, but we turn, we turn away. Not just to feel bad, but to say, okay, I'm done with that. I'm gonna reckon with it. I'm gonna deal with what's inside of me. And I'm gonna turn from it in great hope that God is gonna give me the power to be an overcomer in it. And he will. It's the worst part, but it's the most freeing part to reckon with what's in here. To just be like, ah, I was running, I was hiding, I was excusing. I was making all sorts of justifications for it, but the truth is, is it's here. And God, I'm just going to bring it before you, just full on. Here it is. I'm not going to make up nice little words for it. You know, you, you say something like, well, I've, I've been moving things around at work. Let's call it what it is. You've been stealing. Don't. Uh, there's a celebrity, uh, that I don't know, maybe you saw that uh, she was talking and she says, well, um, in addition to my marriage, I got involved in some entanglements. Is that what we're calling that now? Let's be honest. Let, in fact, let it be ugly. There's actually power to just come and say, ugh. This is, let, let's not try to sugarcoat this. Let's not make excuses for it. Oh, the reasons, of course there's reasons. Of course there's justifications, but let's just call it what it is. This is just ugly sin, Lord. Because there's no hope in dancing around it. There's no hope in just trying to soften it. I mean, just, just let's embrace it like it's there. And the hope comes in humbling ourselves and repenting of it. That's where the life is found. That's where God transforms us. That's where the beauty comes. Listen, it's an ugly moment and it's a hard moment, but oh, there's so much life and joy and freedom. And God's not sitting there like, oh, uh, yeah, that's right, you did that. He responds like, finally. Now we can be free. Finally, now I can pull you out of this. <clears throat> I can bring life to you. Oh, it's what I've been waiting for. Finally. All right, we see another thing here that they do. If you want good soil, if you want to set your sails to catch the move and the wind of the Spirit, it's Nehemiah 9, 3, the next verse. And what they did here is they found an earnest seeking and hunger after God. Watch this. Verse 3. They stood where they were, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter of the day in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So that's three hours. Now imagine we all stand up and for three hours I read the Bible to you. And then we stand for another three hours worshiping and seeking and confessing. And what we see here, and listen, if you want to have soil that's ready, is we see this hunger like I will find God. I will read his word. I will seek after him, and I will not stop until I find him. I've got a buddy who, uh, on his uh, honeymoon, went to Mexico, and he was snorkeling. And as he was snorkeling, he lost his wedding ring and went down into the ocean. Now, most of us would be like, oh, we got to buy a new wedding ring. See, but it was precious to him. 
And so he went over to the guys who were part of the, you know, the snorkeling group and he said, hey, could I hire you to put your scuba gear on and go find my wedding ring? And it's Mexico. You can hire people to do anything there, right? And so they all go down and they, they scuba dive around and they find his ring and they give it back to him. Now, how long would you look if you lost a pencil? How hard would you seek if you lost your wallet? Maybe, you know, like a week, right? We're talking about the power of God leading to eternal salvation. We're talking about an encounter with the creator, the one who made you. We're talking about a transformation of your soul that reverberates onto eternity and then that affects generations. How long are you willing to seek and hunger and chase after that? How committed are you to, I'm going to find that. I'm going to see God move. I'm going to see revival in my life. I'm going to see revival around us. How hungry are you to see God do something, to change us and to change you? There's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more precious. Look at Matthew 13. Jesus talks about this. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is God's work, it's his rule, it's his reign here on earth, it's his work in you that leads to salvation. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. See, the things of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the will of God in your life and the work of God in your life is more valuable than everything else you have anything else you can hold on to. And he says, I'll, I'll, I'll sell it all. I'll give it all up so I can have what God would have for me. That's how imagine, unimaginably precious this is. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. See, he sold all the other little treasures, all the other things that were valuable. He said, you know what? They mean nothing to me compared to this amazing valuable, precious kingdom work of God. How hungry are you for the work of God in your life? How far will you go to see him move, to prepare the soil so he can work in your life? I've got a, a little video here uh, that I found of uh, the worship, uh, Sarah helped me find this, this uh, worship leader uh, at Asbury. I love it. And he's just kind of talking about what happened and uh, I, I just want you to hear about the hearts and what God was doing. Let's go ahead and uh, play it. George, you were there yes. from the beginning. You yes. were leading when yes. this kind of broke out. Talk about just what that was like. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um, in some ways, it was um, a very normal time, yeah. you know. Uh, right after the sermon, we did an altar call, and I just kind of was playing some music and, and led worship for a bit as people were responding. Uh, in becoming Jesus' friend. And uh, 10 hours later, <laughs> I look up and the room was packed. And it was Were just wild. Were you reading wild. that whole day? That whole first day? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, George. Yeah. Are you tired? <laughs> A little bit. But honestly, um, I, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm made to do this. And it's just been such a joy. Um, it reminds me of what Jesus said when he said it my food is to do the will of the Father, you know? Um, and I feel so nourished by watching people encounter God in such fresh and real ways. Yeah. It's been a very sweet, sweet time, uh, very tender. The past five days has been 
glorious um, and very special, and I wouldn't miss it for the world. I make it a point to not only be aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the room, but also the people. Um, you know, I, every student that I've met, I've made it a point to remember their names and get a sense of their stories. Um, and every time I've been just so moved by the hunger, the flame that's already inside of them. And so um, in some ways I'm kind of not surprised that God would move in such a special way um, because a lot of the flame was already kindled in their hearts. Yeah. And, um, and we were just all together in one space and I think the fire began to spread. And the hunger that was already inside of them, the fire that was already kindled in their hearts. Is it in ours? Is it already there? Are we hungry? Is there a fire, you know, that God just needs to put a little fuel on and it's going to catch? Are we ready? Are we looking for what Jesus wants to do? Listen, I want miracles. And, and, and I want worship services that go on, and I want renewal and revival that goes out. But I'll tell you what, most of all, I want Jesus. I just want more of you, Jesus. I want you to have your way in me. I want to connect with you. I want to know you. And if you want to do it quietly, do it quietly. And if you want to do it big, do it big. But listen, if it's going to be just a one-man revival, then let it be right here, God. Revive this man. Change me and transform me because I want all that you have, Lord Jesus. May he bring revival right here. And may he bring revival right there and right there and right there and right there. And may little pockets of revival catch in our hearts and let it burn like a fire in this world that transforms this city, transforms this nation. Is your soil ready? Is your sail set? If we all come after him hungry, we will see him move. Listen, if you come after him hungry, you will see him move. You know why? Because he promises. He says so in this book. He promises you. Deuteronomy 4.29, if you seek him, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, your hands. Wash your hands. If you go after him, he'll meet you. Are you hungry? Are you praying? Are you seeking? Are you asking? Are you looking? Are you hoping? Are you expecting? One more thing I just want to talk about quickly in Nehemiah here. If you go over to verse 38, so they have that big prayer and that big talk about where they've been and how they keep messing up. And, and it says in verse 38, it says, and in view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And then in chapter 10, you see him making all these reforms and all these changings and saying, okay, I'm going to come back into obedience with God's word. I'm going to do it his way. Now, Charles Finney, he was a Presbyterian pastor in the middle of the Second Great Awakening, one of the biggest revivals in America, a huge thing. And so he, he's got a little bit to say about revival. And he says this, he says, a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. When you look at it in Scripture over and over again, what do they do? They turn from their idols. That's the revival. It's to come back. In the end, it's not an emotion. In the end, it's not a feeling. In the end, it's not even an experience. In the end, it's a transformation. For the lost 
to come to Christ and be found. Oh God, bring that revival. Oh God, bring revival. Bring the lost so that they can be found. And for God's people to live like we are God's people again. And the Spirit moves. And we set our sails and say, okay, Lord, take us where you want us to go. I'll show you this in John 3. Jesus talks about this. John 3, verse 5. And Jesus answered, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. See, we can't do this by our own strength. We can't do this by flesh. We don't see God move because of what we do, because flesh gives birth to flesh. But if you want something spiritual, if you want something beautiful, if you want something last, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And it's by the Holy Spirit that we see transformation and change. Jesus says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. See, there has to be a refreshing, a renewal, a coming back to Christ. And then look what happens. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Who knows what God may do? Who knows where God might take us? <clears throat> but there's two things that happen with revival. First of all, it is unpredictable. The second, it is undeniable. There's real change that takes place. And if our soil is ready, and if our sails are set, if the ground is good, listen, He will take us. He will move. And I'm praying for these fires to catch all over this church. I'm praying for these fires to catch all over the world. But I'm pleading, oh Lord God, let the fire catch in me. And it may look the same as it has. It may look different. I, I don't know. But if it brings people to Jesus and it causes us to return to Jesus, to dance in the streets and to see Jesus, listen, I want it. I want him. And so I'm not going to try to force revival. I'm not going to try to manipulate revival. But you know what? I am personally committing to preparing the soil. I'm asking you to join me. That you would set your sail. You'd humble yourself. You get ready for the work that God wants to do in you and through you. Calling us, it's time to humble. It's time to repent of our worldly mindset. We're not going to do it like they do it. We're not going to think like they think. We're, we're going to do it like God's word says. To repent of our selfishness, of our sin. To stop repeating the same attitudes of our fathers and our mothers and our ancestors. To stop relying on our own strength and our own ability. To stop loving the blessing instead of the blesser. To turn our hearts, to rend our hearts before him. So I'm actually going to, if you will right now, just seek God for just a minute and ask the Holy Spirit just to show us one way we can humble ourselves. If you join me in this. Just to ask, Lord, what is one thing? I did this actually last week and you know what he showed me and it wasn't fun, but oh, it was so life-giving. And God brought it before me and it was ugly. And I could have excused it, and most people would say it's no big deal. But God said it's a big deal, and you got to face it. Most people would say, you know what, God dealt with me. Uh, you can make an excuse for it. <clears throat> God said no excuses. If you want to move forward in me, you got to face it. you got to deal with it. So I'm just going to ask, Holy Spirit, we come before you right now. Hungry for you, Jesus. Wanting more of you, Jesus. And God, I thank you that you want to give us more. That you're eager to remove everything that's in the way for our life because you love us so much. 
So Holy Spirit, would you speak to every single one of us right now? We just come before you. Holy Spirit, is there any one thing right now, any sin, any attitude, any one thing, God, that you would like to address that's getting in the way? Holy Spirit, would you please bring it to our minds? Just right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Please just speak to all of us. Pride. Sexual sin. Anger. Fear. Hopelessness. Self-sufficiency. Lord, whatever it is, thank you, God. Just show us. Now, God, we see these things and they're ugly. And it's just true that they're there. So we come before you and we ask for forgiveness. Would you help us, God? Would you help us to to live out of this, to repent, to turn? Will you take this from us, Jesus? God, we just lay this humbly at our feet, knowing that even, even we can't even do our repentance without you, God. So we ask for your help. We ask for your power right now. Thank you. Some of us, we, we need to go talk to somebody else about it. We need some help. Others, it's just now time. You just lay it down. Start walking a different way. God has freedom for you. Thank you, God, that we're forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Now to close our service, we're going to sing a couple uh, more songs here. We're going to just come into his presence but there's one other thing I want to give you one other opportunity and so we saw Israel what they did when they humbled themselves they did an outward expression of it and and, you know they they ripped their clothes and they put sackcloth on and they put ashes on their head to say okay I'm changing my heart I actually want to give you a chance to just can we can we just humble ourselves before the Lord and if you would say God I need you and I just want to lay down all that stuff. Just well, one action you can do, an outward expression. Just as we're singing this first song here, just come up and just put these things before him. Put these sins that hold your heart. Just lay it at his feet and attitudes. And, and if you just want to come, Lord, I just humble myself. I just need you and I want you, Lord. And I want new soil. If that's you, just come up and just kneel here at the altar and just do some business with God. And we'll pray for you and, and, and care for you as you do. But just take that time to say, okay, I will humble myself. And this coming forward is just an outward expression of what's going on in your heart inwardly. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you because we want good soil. We kneel before you, God, not because you're angry, not because you're disgusted, Lord, but because you love us. We kneel before you because we want more of you. We humble ourselves, Lord, because we know that's where life is found. Lord, in you is life. In you is freedom. So Lord, as we come before you, as we just lay our lives down before you, will you take it? Lord, I thank you that you're going to bring beauty out of ashes, that you're going to bring strength out of the humility. Come before you, seeking you, Lord, needing your Holy Spirit to blow a fresh wind on us. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.